1: Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and three hundred sixty-five day returns. Kelly
2: and Kelly.
3: Previously, on this sound
4: serious. <laughs> okay, Daniel, I'm gonna need you to call oh, my brother so dead.
5: It was quite possibly the most confusing case i've ever been a part of
4: when the mandala ended people were really upset i mean just losing it
1: the truth is when the chopper q opportunity came along everybody wanted that spot
4: chuck never wanted to get mixed up with the boy band thing he loved doing the weather he was done pursuing music
1: when we parted ways
6: we were on good terms you are you? Uh, yes, hi. Very well, thank you for nice demeanor that you would
5: ask. I appreciate that. Yeah, so I want you to uh, understand that uh, you're not under arrest for anything and you're you're free to go at any time. So, oh, okay. um, well then I'm going to just No, I, I, I will step out. Well, I'd like you to stay.
3: This is Orlando Police Interrogation footage of Detective Leonard Anthony and Daniel Bronstadt, captured on January 13th, 2007. The day WQOO weatherman Chuck Bronstad's body was discovered.
5: Daniel, when that when the lab comes back to me with with results of what we found in in Chuck's condo, I mean, potentially you're going to run out of options. Okay, and I I think it's pretty clear to both of us in this room right now that you only have one option here. Yeah, I um. Uh...
6: I want to, uh, can I, I'd like, uh, going I take a whiz here?
5: Do you need to go to the bathroom? I'm going to do that and take a whiz, and then I'll be right
3: back. Detective Anthony interviewed Daniel for eight hours that day. And in that time, he used his years of police training to try and lure the suspect closer and closer to a confession. Sure.
6: Absolutely. I mean, you know what, a, you know, for brothers, you know, I mean, sometimes he'd just drive you so crazy, you'd think of doing the worst things, but you know, I don't take that the wrong way, but sometimes I just wanted to kill him. You know, you know I mean, just as a brother would, but don't take that the wrong way and please don't, you know, equate that to whatever happened with the waterbed, which we're, not, we're just talking horrible. But sure, I wanted to kill him sometimes,
3: yeah. Like in Daniel's 911 call, his thoughts seem scattered. One minute, he's confrontational.
6: Well, you've been carrying your gun in that holster for the last hour. Maybe it's time I had a turn.
3: The next, he's totally cooperative.
6: I don't know. What can I do for you? You know, I, I do give a very
5: uh, non-sexual back rub, if, if that's of any interest. So
3: Often, there are prolonged silences. Awkward silences. Silences that are so long, you'd expect them to end with some monumental revelation. But then?
6: Oh, I'm sorry. Is it my turn to talk?
3: I must admit, sometimes the detective is asking some very leading questions.
5: If, if Chuck didn't drown himself in his own waterbed, and he lived with someone else, and that someone else was you, then there's a very high likelihood that the killer is a ghost.
6: I don't know. It seems far-fetched, Detective. What are we doing here, Daniel?
3: But at the end of the interrogation, after eight hours of quiet, intense intellectual combat, Daniel Bronstad walked out. A free man.
6: Detective, do you think you're getting any closer to finding the killer? Because I'd love it if we could solve this here.
3: It's This Sounds Serious, the case of Daniel Bronstadt, a CastBox original. I'm Gwen Radford. On this show, we're trying to uncover the details of the life of Daniel Bronstadt, the most intriguing 911 caller I've ever heard, and the death of his brother, Orlando Weatherman, Chuck Bronstadt. This is our first episode exploring the post-call period, and it's our first look at the possible suspects in Chuck's murder, including his brother Daniel. While much of the evidence does point to Daniel there are plenty of other plausible theories to look at. Today, we look at those. Daniel Bronstad has always denied any involvement in his brother's death.
6: Sorry if that ruins your podcast. I'm not telling you I killed Chuck. Because that's
5: just not what happened.
3: But the truth is, no matter what Daniel says, many signs point to him killing his brother.
5: Well, the thing is, Daniel's not your uh, typical murderer. Psychopaths never are.
3: That's Detective Leonard Anthony. He was the lead investigator on Chuck Bronstad's murder case.
5: Um, well, actually, that's not true. Psychopaths are much better at hiding how weird they are. I would I would put Daniel in the category of doofus. If I had to uh, pin down his psychological profile, I'd say he's a murder twerp.
3: While much of the evidence does point to Daniel, there are plenty of other plausible theories to look at.
5: Did we look at other potential suspects? Of course we did. Did any of them compare to Daniel? Absolutely not. No, ma'am.
3: Before we get to the case against Daniel, let's reestablish what happened on the morning of the murder. When police showed up to Daniel and Chuck's condo on the morning of Saturday, January 13th, 2007, they weren't the first to arrive.
5: No, we were the third to arrive. The paramedics showed up before us to try and revive Mr. Bronstadt. And then before that, there was the goddamn cleaning crew.
3: The cleaning crew he's talking about was a three-person maid service that cleaned Chuck and Daniel's condo every Saturday morning. They had been there for about an hour by the time Daniel made his 911 call.
5: It was it was very hard for us to investigate because there was no blood, there was no fingerprints, no DNA, nothing. But as I said, the, the condo was, from a cleanliness standpoint, it was, it was immaculate. I mean, they, they get into the corners, and a lot of cleaners don't do that.
3: So when the police finally did arrive... They found a spotless apartment, a soaked carpet, and Chuck's body face down on his waterbed mattress. Uh,
5: The mattress was uh, cut with some sort of blade, and then Chuck's head was forced inside the mattress. So we believe that the uh, mattress was held shut over his head until he drowned.
3: That's a weird way to kill someone. I'm not even sure how it makes sense. If you cut a hole in a waterbed, you'd think the water would rush out really quickly the whole thing might even burst.
5: So the killer would have had to work very quickly to drown Chuck before all the water leaked out of the mattress. Uh, A little slice, then dunk him in there, then hold it shut, two minutes tops. I actually think about that a lot logistically, how hard this murder would have been to commit. So we think that uh, Chuck would have had to have been subdued uh, at that point.
3: There was no evidence suggesting Chuck was beaten. He wasn't knocked out with a baseball bat or anything. So the other possibility is that he was drugged.
6: Oh, yeah, he was drugged. Yeah, he drugged himself. You know, I mean, he'd been very stressed out at work. You know, it had been something like 27 days of a high-pressure system, which makes for terribly boring weather reporting. So he was stressed, couldn't sleep. So the doctor gave him a prescription for sleeping pills. And, you know, wow, did those work. I mean, good night, (laughs) you were out. Uh, Sometimes I'd come into his room and and start a conversation, you know, like, man, we should really consider going on The Amazing Race. I think we'd be incredibly compelling television. Yeah, I'd get into a 10-minute conversation before I realized, well, Chuck's asleep. (laughs) Didn't hear any of it. (laughs) But uh, yeah, so the sleeping pills worked for sure.
5: The toxicology report said he had a powerful sedative in his system, the sleeping pill. It also said that he had far above the uh, recommended dose of ibuprofen, but it's hard to say if that was a factor. It's certainly not what killed him.
6: Oh, yeah. Well, that was probably my back cake.
5: You know, yeah, I I
6: used to get horrible backaches, and so I made something called a back cake, which is, you know, traditional uh, cake batter mixed with two bottles of crushed up Advil. I'd take a slice and feel nice, <laughs> you know. So I, I, I sort of had that condition after the van crash with two plus one. So Chuck, probably motivated by a late night snack, decided to go to the fridge and see what he could eat. And there it was, my bat cake. And I guess, you know, it also had a NyQuil icing on it too, so it was it was pretty potent.
3: So there were no signs of struggle. Chuck was in no state to fight off his attacker. There was no sign of forced entry because the door was unlocked. And there was no DNA, no fingerprints anywhere. The apartment was spotless. Although, not the entire apartment. The cleaners didn't go into the bedrooms.
6: Oh yeah, of course that was our policy. You know, if my door was closed at 7 a.m. on Saturday morning, GTFO and stay TFO. I, I think you know what that means. You know, on Friday nights, we always left the front door open so that the cleaners should come in without disturbing me. You know, we had other rules too. Soy sauce does not go in the fridge.
3: So, what kind of evidence did the police find in Chuck and Daniel's bedrooms? And actually, you might be wondering this too. Do twins have the same fingerprints?
5: Twins do not have the same fingerprints. Um, I actually had to look that up. I didn't know. But we found some of Daniel's fingerprints in Chuck's bedroom, a lot actually, but uh, nothing around the, the mattress, and we found a lot of Chuck's uh, prints in Daniel's room, too. But so what? As far as evidence goes, that's a pretty weak sauce, as my grandkids would say. You know, they lived there. They could put their fingers anywhere they wanted. Those are the rules in my house anyway.
3: And from the way Daniel kept reinserting himself into his brother's life, I wouldn't be surprised to know he'd been snooping around his brother's room when Chuck wasn't home.
5: Ultimately, there wasn't much physical evidence to build our case on, but I can tell you this much, it was Daniel. A murderer needs motive, means, and opportunity. Daniel had the means and opportunity. Nobody else was there that night. And as far as motive goes, you know who's going to kill you, Gwen? It's not going to be some stranger who sneaks into your house. It's not going to be uh, some boogeyman. It's going to be someone close to you, someone you love. It always is.
3: Daniel was the only person Orlando police officially pursued for Chuck's murder.
6: I was devastated when Chuck died, you know, and to make matters worse, the police fingered me for it, you know, and and they, they could have fingered, I don't know, at least 20 other guys and it probably could have fingered a few women too, but for some reason, the police had zeroed in on me.
3: But who else could have killed Chuck? Daniel has some ideas.
6: Yeah, I've I've got I've got a few of my own theories, Gwen.
3: The way I see it, there are five possibilities that make sense to me. Some were cleared by police, but some weren't even investigated. Coming up after the break, I look at the five suspects that I think could have killed Chuck
2: Bronstadt.
3: Before the break, we reviewed the evidence from the night of the murder. Now it's time to look at the suspects. First up, Tanner Austin.
6: Tanner Austin here over the scene of the crime. Yeah, yeah, Tanner Austin. Absolutely that loser helicopter reporter.
3: Tanner Austin was the head weather reporter at WQOO in 1994, before Chuck took over. He left that post to become their action news helicopter reporter, but soon found himself dissatisfied with the position. The traffic is at a standstill once again,
1: northbound on I-4, all the way back Well, it turns City. out there weren't quite as many violent incidents catching progress as you would like.
3: That's Ken Shaw, the WQOO news director at the time of Chuck's death.
1: Most days, Tanner was really just covering traffic jams. And, and let me tell you something, it's not the most exciting footage, you know? it's It's just cars sitting there. I've
5: been looking at the same construction on the 408 interchange for the past two weeks.
3: Apparently, Tanner was so unhappy as the helicopter reporter that he asked to get his old job back. But it was too late. Chuck was already a rising star. Thank
6: you very much, Amelia. Uh, as you can see, I'm here at the Orlando International Equestrian Center. Uh, uh, those of you who know me know I love horses, and this is actually where I've boarded my... Was
1: Tanner resentful of Chuck's success? 100%. The amount of times Tanner crashed Chuck's weather updates, that boy was jealous and he was angry.
6: If you are sailing today, now Tanner Austin's on the set, get up. Tanner, get off the set.
5: What are you doing? Listen, I spent 13 goddamn years in a stupid helicopter blowing out my hearing, messing up my beautiful hair and developing a permanent crick in my neck from looking down at traffic all day.
3: That's Tanner Austin.
5: And the day Chuck died, you know what I did? Before they could even get his body out of that waterbed, I walked right into that newsroom and I demanded my old job back.
1: Oh, yeah, he did do that. I mean, talk about inappropriate. Everyone in the office was weeping. And he comes in here and does that? Holy hell, man. Pick your moment.
3: Suspect number two, Karen Gillespie, Chuck's ex-wife.
6: Yeah, she she's the one. She's the one who the cops should have been fingering all along.
3: Karen and Chuck divorced in 2000, and from the times I've spoken to her, she always seems honest. She doesn't strike me as a murderer. She's a nurse. She saves lives. She may come off a bit cold, but even when she talks about Chuck... It's with a bit of regret, but not anger.
6: You know, here's the thing you got to know about Karen. You know, when I started handling Chuck's business affairs in the 2000s, they were already divorced, but for some reason she was still all over his policies, listed on his will as a beneficiary. So, you know, I just, I snipped her out. And so I took out a, a brand new policy for Chuck and felt pretty good to do and to see my name on it. In fact, it felt so good, I started to do it every year. You know, it was like an annual tradition. Oh, time to take out another policy on Chuck with my name on it.
3: I don't know if Daniel hears how this sounds, but taking out a life insurance policy is like the number one most suspicious thing someone does if they're going to murder a family member. And Daniel took out a bunch?
6: I had about a dozen life insurance policies on Chuck at the time of his death. Yeah, yeah, no, I know, I know what you're thinking, but they don't pay out if I murder him, and so they didn't pay out. You know, good luck trying to convince them you didn't murder your brother after you've been charged with murder. So, you know, I, I never saw any of that money at all. But the person that you need to look at is Karen. Being cut out of that will, yeah, that probably pushed her over the edge. Oh, yeah, and she's also a nurse, so she knows about dying and how to make people die. Of course we looked at the
5: ex-wife. We've always got to explore that option.
3: That's Detective Anthony again.
5: But I'm telling you, Gwen, she's about as big as Funky Brewster. I mean, she's a real little lady. Even with the sleeping pill and Chuck's system, she just isn't big enough to have been able to
3: do it. Suspect number three.
6: The other person I might finger would be J.J. from the Flesh Boys. A lot of people were fingering him at this time.
3: Come on, Flesh Boys, let's do this. The Flesh Boys were an Orlando boy band managed by the Bronstadt brothers in the early 1990s.
6: We didn't just manage them. I mean, we assembled them. You know, we produced, we wrote. So, you know, when their relationship ended, was there bad blood? Yeah.
3: If you recall, Chuck and Daniel had a fight in 1995 that resulted in Daniel running away to allegedly join the mysterious Central Florida cult, the Mandala. That fight is also what ended their professional relationship as managers of the Flesh Boys.
6: So, you know, the boys were mad, you know. I mean some some of the money was missing, maybe. I mean, I don't know. It's boy band, you know, it's it's not H and R block. <laughs> you don't keep track of boy band money. That's just that's part of that business. You know, and by then I was gone. I was well, just off doing my own thing and and you know, JJ really came after Chuck.
3: Daniel says JJ made threats to Chuck.
4: Yeah, we would get calls. Sometimes at three in the morning.
3: That's Chuck's ex-wife, Karen Gillespie. She confirms these threats.
4: Hang ups or heavy breathing. One time they mailed us a finger. Who does that? At least FedEx it. It stunk. It really upset
5: Chuck. Oh yeah, that was me who sent the finger.
3: That's John Carlson. He used to go by J.J.
5: Those twins owed me some serious money, tens of thousands, for singing on a Popeye's commercial that I was never paid for, and they made me pay up front for costumes they were supposed to order, but we never received. Ah, yes, the original J.J. from the Flesh Boys. Yes, he is the one who sent the finger.
3: That's Detective Anthony again.
5: Uh, After the Flesh Boys broke up, uh, he had to take a job at a machine shop where he lost the finger. Uh, Enraged that Daniel and Chuck had uh, ended his music career, he mailed the finger. I could have sent two more over the years, but I've learned to let it go. (laughs) I let a lot of things go without those extra fingers. You know, to be honest with you, Gwen, I don't think his anger was actually directed towards Chuck at all. Because Daniel was the one who ran the whole boy band thing. If, if he had motive to kill anybody, it was to kill Daniel.
3: There's one thing that's bothered me about this case since I discovered that Daniel and Chuck were twins. Is there a chance that mistaken identity could have played into the crime? Could somebody have intended to kill Daniel, only to have killed Chuck by mistake? I asked Daniel. Can you think of anyone that you've angered, anyone that you've had discord with? Is there anyone that you think would want to kill you?
6: What, somebody who would want to kill me? I've, I <laughs> I, can't even uh, fathom a, a person or a scenario.
3: Suspect number four.
6: Are you searching for life's great meaning? Is there a hole in your soul that you're looking to fill?
3: What Daniel is failing to mention is the mandala, the cult of which he won't acknowledge he was a member, a leader, for five years.
6: Hello. I'm Brother Kai of the spiritual order of the Mandala faith.
3: The cult that he left right as it ran out of money. Or did it run out of money right as he left?
4: Oh, I know plenty of members who are still out there. And they're not building an underwater car. And they're not singing to the tides, But they show up on your doorstep and want to know why you left.
3: That's Allison with two L's, the Mandala member you heard from in episode three.
4: They want to know who you're seeing. They make threats. They want to know who took all the money. Who made the whole thing fall apart?
3: The cult disbanded in 2000, around the time of Daniel's departure. Did certain members blame Daniel for its downfall?
4: Absolutely. Would they come after him? I'm going to give you a hard maybe.
3: Could the disgruntled members have mistakenly killed Chuck while coming after Daniel? There are some things that feel so right about this theory. Like this. The night before Chuck's body was discovered a comet lit up the night sky.
6: Good stuff for the stargazers out there. You will have a chance to see Comet McNaught, which is the brightest comet in our skies in the last 40
3: years.
2: Wow, that is incredible. We will be sure to do that. Thank you, Chuck. Welcome, Amelia. Okay, now coming up more on the planetarium.
3: This wouldn't be the first call to mix death and astronomy. The Heaven's Gate cult achieved infamy when their suicide coincided with the return of the Hale-Bopp comet in 1997.
5: Oh, that's absolutely nonsense. First of all, we were a water cult, not a space cult.
3: That's Ramsey Cole. He was the spiritual leader of the Mandala.
5: And another thing I want to make perfectly clear here is that we were a no-kill cult. You know, you've heard of a no-kill dog shelter? Well, we were that for cults. I mean, nobody got killed on my watch. Nobody.
4: Who ever heard of a cult that never killed anyone, Gwen? Didn't that seem a little ridiculous to begin with? I mean, eventually every cult kills somebody. It's just how it works.
3: That's Allison again.
4: And it's very possible the ideology of the Mandala could change over seven years from water to space.
3: Even if the comet has nothing to do with the murder, remember that the Mandala's beliefs were all based around water. What more poetic way to kill a member of the mandala than by drowning them?
4: That would definitely be the ultimate form of disrespect. I mean, D I S R E S P E C T.
3: And that's what I like about this theory. It's juicy. It checks a lot of boxes. There's a cult, a murder that parallels their beliefs, a theft, and a mistaken identity. Of course, there is one other possibility.
5: Hey guys, love the show, uh, but I think you're forgetting to mention a fairly obvious suspect.
3: Our suspect number five.
5: Uh, You might want to go back and watch some episodes of Last Known Whereabouts.
3: And we keep getting messages about it, so we have to address it. Um, I feel like you're not mentioning a really famous serial killer. And for any true crime fan out there, it really is pretty obvious.
4: You have one new voice message.
5: Hello, Gwen. I just wanted to thank you for the podcast that you've been producing. You know, I've been listening this whole time, and it's been kind of driving me crazy because it reminded me of a story, and I couldn't remember where I'd heard it from. And then it dawned on me, in the 90s, I used to watch a television show called The Last Known Whereabouts, and they did an episode on a criminal known as the Weatherman Strangler. You might want to look into it, Gwen. I think it could lead you into an interesting direction.
3: Next time on This San Serious.
1: Hey, what are you doing in my condo in New Mexico?
4: That's the killer? <laughs> I mean, come on, you can't write this stuff.
6: Last known whereabouts. Getting to the bottom of
5: America's most murdered. The sun is too much. I can't take it. I will take down sun worshippers.
3: Oh man, I love this case. This Sound Serious is a CastBox original. CastBox is the fastest-growing, highest-rated podcast app on both iOS and Android, where you can find all your favorite podcasts. You can listen to This Sound Serious wherever you get your podcasts, but we hope you'll give CastBox a shot. We think it's the best.